thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. First of all, um, may I ask you to introduce you shortly? So what is your name and what are you doing? My name is Alex Osterwalder. I'm the lead author of Business Model Generation and Value Proposition Design. We just came up out with a new book called The Invincible, or we're coming out with a new book called The Invincible Company. We came out last week with a book called Testing Business Ideas. And besides that, I created a company called Strategizer. We're trying to change the way companies do uh, growth and transformation. Before we come to that, um, 20 years ago when I studied business informatics, I, I learned to do business models yeah. like the way people did it. Like, yeah writing 20, 30 pages, it yeah. was boring, yeah. and the yeah. gun chart and all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 years later, when I started to lecture, yeah. suddenly I saw this <laughs> canvas, yeah, yeah. just one sheet of paper, yeah. and I could yeah. uh, have an overview of the business model. So how did yeah. you come up with this idea? So the original idea was um, from my PhD supervisor, Yves Pignor, who's now you know, a co-author and longtime friend. We've been working together for 20 years. And his original idea was that we could find a better way to describe a business idea in the shape of a business model and describe it so well so we could almost build computer-aided design for business people like we have for architecture, right? So I started working on that and out of that research came the business model canvas, which is a very simple way to describe any business model, an existing one or one you want to build. So that's how the whole thing started. And, and now we're building the software actually with our company. <laughs> And isn't it too much of reduction of complexity, one could say, because it's just one sheet? So that's the point, that at the early stage, there, there's no value in describing in detail your idea, your business idea. So when you write a business plan, you spend too much time on it, you'll actually have analysis paralysis. You'll put so much time and energy into it, and it'll look so good because you refined it that you're not going to throw it away. You might even raise money for that, and then you're going to execute the idea. But in innovation and entrepreneurship, execution is not the problem. The problem is you might build something nobody wants. You might pursue a stupid idea. Not some because it looks great on paper <laughs> that it's actually going to work. So what you want to do in innovation and entrepreneurship is rapidly sketch it out and then as quickly as you can get out of the building to use Steve Blank's words and then go and test it and then adapt the idea. Because ideas are free, they're cheap, they're everywhere. You need to adapt the idea. That's the hard part. Turning an idea into a value proposition that customers care about and a business model that can scale. That's what customers care about. And when you have a very rough way of sketching this out at the beginning, you're much more likely to throw away that idea and to adapt it. So that was the logic from the start. So sometimes uh, this word improvisation uh, yeah. is used in uh, saying like uh, thinking on your feet yeah. um, or being in a real-time yeah. creativity. Yeah deal with the unexpected. Yeah. Um, what is your perspective on this kind of improvisation? So I think there's probably, I mean, not, I'm not an expert on improvisation, but there's a myth that when we say improvisation, we say, oh, somebody can improvise. What we don't realize is you get so much better at improvisation when you've done those situations a hundred thousand times. So improvisation is not magic. It's not just pure talent. It's actually experience. So the more experience you have, the better you'll get at improvisation. So guess what? They're improv classes. Why? Because you can get better at it. It's not like, okay, I did it once, I did this class, and now I'm good at it. So that's where I think there's a bit of a myth where we think, oh, you're either talented at improvisation or you're not. No way. So same in entrepreneurship, you need to be extremely agile 
and then adapt to a specific new situation because I can guarantee you as an entrepreneur, you have problems every day, every hour, every minute and they always come from the unexpected and you need to do something and you often need to improvise. But you only get better at it over time. So today I'm better at improvising, not because I got a lot smarter, but I got a lot more experienced. So I think we, we take improvisation for, oh, that's a talent. It's not just a talent, it's a skill that you learn over time. So how did you learn to, to improvise if there's yeah. something unexpected uh, and you didn't have a routine on that and yeah. you have to decide now? Probably by simply screwing up a hundred thousand times. So that's why I think that, you know, same in entrepreneurship, we have this myth, creative genius or in design. It's just, that's the person, Frank Gehry. It's just, he's just a creative genius. Steve Jobs, just a creative genius. Well, there's talent there, there's genius there, but guess what? You don't know how many times those people screwed up. And if you take the design process, you can actually learn it. It's very structured. So you improvise within structure and within experience from the past. So all of the failures you've had, all of the ways you solve those problems give you patterns, pattern recognition. So I believe, and this is just my opinion, this is not science, right? and I'm not an expert on improvisation, but I think the pattern recognition improves over time. And that's the thing that gets you know, world-class innovators to get world-class at innovation, world-class entrepreneurs to get world-class at entrepreneurship. Steve Jobs didn't get everything right from the beginning. So we tend to just take those <laughs> things that we want to see, what we don't see behind those successful people is the trail of failure and learning that led to their genius, right? So of course there's talent. Not everybody can get to that level, but there's a ton of experience. And that experience has to do with failure. People say, oh, it's about learning. No, it's not. It's about experimenting, failure, learning, and then getting better, okay? Because if you don't get better, you know, failure is just failure. Failure sucks. Nobody likes it, but it helps us improve and we, I think that's what gets us to be better at improvisation, the pattern recognition skill and quickly coming up with, uh, with solutions. I mean, guess why we train pilots like crazy? So they actually get better with the routine and then can improvise within the routines, right? So still when organization managers think of an organization as a functional thing that is planned, an improvisation of failure is an indicator for something that went wrong. But, so again, so for me, the company is two worlds. One where your first statement is correct. You're running a supply chain. If you need to improvise, you screwed up because you've been doing that for five years, for 10 years. You still can't figure it out. That's failure. You shouldn't need to improvise. That should run like a well-oiled machine, okay, or service delivery. It's not just about manufacturing. That's the space of execution and management. But then in the space of innovation and entrepreneurship, that's where you need to experiment. And that's where you need to improvise. But I think there's a, there's a misconception there when we say the word improvisation, it's as almost that we gave a, gave a wild card for go ahead and do whatever you want, go improvise. No, you need a very structured process within which you can adapt, okay? That's the improvisation maybe. But improvisation is not a wild card just to, oh, they're gonna figure it out, they're smart. 
Well, that comes from number one from experience, but there are also certain procedures that they need to follow. So the creativity gets better if you provide the right tools, the right processes, and the right metrics. You reward people to experiment. So I think today we're in this fuzzy space where we say, oh, go, go ahead and go test a bit and adapt, you know, you'll figure it out. That's bullshit. There is a very structured creative process and innovation process to reduce the risk and uncertainty of a new idea. Within that process you improvise, but you don't go outside of that process because there needs to be structure to go from idea to business case that can scale, to tested and validated business case that can scale. On your new book, you have the adaptive cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On that. Yeah, yeah. Is this one kind of the process that you mean? Absolutely. It's constant adaptation. So as a team, you'll go through shaping your idea. You'll shape it with business tools like the business model canvas and value proposition canvas. You give it shape, almost like a physical product, but we're shaping a concept. But then immediately, you shouldn't get locked up in analysis paralysis. You should spend some time on it, maybe you know, an hour, half a day, depending on where you are. Immediately go and test it. That's another cycle where you define the hypothesis, the uncertainty, and you go test and reduce that. People told you that's a stupid idea. No problem. You stand up again and you change the concept, the idea. So you go through that cycle all the time. An entrepreneur and innovator goes through that cycle every second all the time. I see, I listen to a talk, immediately I'm thinking, oh, this, that, you know, okay, how can we build this into our business? What does that mean for our context? You go through that cycle all the time. How could I test that idea? Seems interesting. How would I talk to my customers to do that? And that is part, you know, could say structured improvisation. I call it process. But within that process, you have a structured way of thinking. And I don't think improv stands for no process or no structure. Is just a fast way of adapting to new situations that you that were unexpected. Then the other thing is there's still a lot of myths in that space. So um, you know I hear CEOs saying everybody needs to be an innovator. Great. This is if you say okay everybody needs to be now you know uh, the finance department. It doesn't make sense, right? Innovation is a profession. So yes, people can innovate in a small way the way they work. They can get more efficient. They can do things better. That everybody can do. But not everybody is supposed to make big experiments to find you know, the breakthrough ideas. You're running a supply chain, you're running a nuclear plant, please don't experiment too much, okay? This is, those people need to experiment in small ways in the process. But over here, inventing the future, you need to experiment in a big way. So not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur within the company, and it's not everybody's good at it. So that's why you know, I think these myths is the one thing, And the other thing is, well, it is a career risk as a CEO to take on such a monumental task. And the payoff is huge. So it will mainly happen with uh, CEOs who are really, really invested, literally invested financially, and have long-term payouts with shares. Um, they will take that uh, risk more, uh, more likely than the short-term compensation. Why should do people take this risk and experiment and, and risk their career and job? Well, I think a lot of companies, a lot of um, people who are in innovation, they're passionate about it. Jeff Bezos is passionate about it. And they also see, so some of these people really do see the risk of, not, of inaction. Peter Ma, who founded Ping An, saw the risk of inaction and said, we need to become an internet player. And brought on a co-CEO with Jessica Tan 
And then they shifted and became, in eight years, an internet company. So it's the fear of disappearing and the passion for innovation and opportunity. So it's this combination, right? So, uh, you know, at, at, at uh, Amazon, Jeff Bezos says we need to keep a culture of day one. What does that mean? We shouldn't become complacent, be successful, lean back and think we're at the top of the world. But we need to change. Yeah. So the last question. Good, good. Okay, uh, okay. What's next? So what is, you, you, yeah, you never yeah, know what the yeah, future uh, yeah. brings, but, but what's the next, you would say, what is the, the next yeah. thing that, that should be uh, taken emphasis? I can talk about what I'm passionate about and what we're doing with Strategizer. So, um, I think innovation could be a lot more data-driven in the sense that we are now you know, accompanying more and more um, innovation teams in large companies, building the innovation strategies. We need to measure the evidence that these teams bring to the table, measure the reduction of risk and uncertainty. The more data we have, the better we will actually be able to predict what it takes for a team to succeed. How many experiments do they need to run? which composition of teams is going to be more successful. So it's just a matter of time that with the data, with AI, we can more reliably predict what are the contexts that will help a team succeed in innovation. So we are on that path already. We're building the software to, to measure all of this. And what we need is more companies that do this in a radical fashion. And the predictability is only a matter of time. Doesn't mean we're going to replace creativity but we're going to make innovation better, faster, and more systematic. So data-driven innovation is, uh, is something that I really, really believe in, and I would call it data-driven strategy in innovation.